Are you ready to perform at your highest potential? Welcome to the Performance Matters Podcast from GP Strategies, your workforce transformation partner. In each episode, we'll interview industry experts and explore best practices and innovative insights to help your organization improve performance. Hello, and welcome to the Performance Matters Podcast, sponsored by your workforce transformation partners at GP Strategies. Now, I am your host, Michael Teal, and I'm a creative director within the innovation team here at GP Strategies. And I have to say that today is a day I've had circled on my calendar for quite some time. In the virtual studio, we have a luminary in the leadership, coaching, and talent development world, Mr. Kevin Wildey, author of the recently released book, Coachability, The Leadership Superpower. Kevin, thank you for joining us today. Thanks for the intro. Now, the thing what we wanted to really share today with our listening audience is really the unique element and aspect of your book is you've got this focus on really what I would consider to be an underserved area of leadership. And that is the idea that one's coachability or level of coachability is really their superpower, correct? Absolutely. And again, that's the title of the book, Coachability, the uh, Leadership Superpower. And given my 34-year corporate career helping leaders get better, uh, I started noticing those that really improved had kept their coachability and those that lost their coachability sometimes got into trouble and that led me down the path to, gee, why don't we talk about this more? And uh, the book is kind of a very simple guide on, hey, here's what I found and here's some advice on what to do. Yeah. And and that was one of the things I really noticed on your book is you really even point out the fact that, you know, books that have attempted to be written about this aren't rated so high on uh, the, the bestsellers list, are they? Again, there's a lot of great stuff out there on leadership. So we'll start there. And again, I've got the library full of it. And uh, at the end of the day, as much <laughs> as, uh, you know, I continue to try to offer things. And I'm a student. I love learning and I don't come here to be the expert, but more like, you know, we don't talk about this as much. And I'll give you a very simple little exercise that's in the book. Uh, as I was doing the research, both any book on feedback or related topics, not that popular. I said, I think I'll write one. <laughs> but if you go to Google, uh, Google Trends, you can put in two search terms. And okay. in the research, I put in two search terms, you know, how to give feedback and then how to receive feedback. <laughs> and the ratio was astounding, 10 to 1, 10 to 1. So for every uh, 10 people out there saying, I want to give Michael some feedback, how do I do it right? There's only one person saying, yeah, I want to learn how to, you know, get it better. And, you know, I, I get that giving is hard. But if the other side were a little more receptive or practiced, it would go a lot easier. And that that's part of the intent of the book is try to balance that out again. I know that you didn't just go on uh, Wikipedia and start researching this. This is born of decades and decades of practical application. So is it okay before we start getting into the book that we just sort of unpack your career sure. and some of your experiences? Got it. Okay. All right. So Kevin, you are currently an executive leadership fellow at the Carlson School of Management at the University of Minnesota. What are you doing there? What's your areas of focus? Yeah. And and, and the setup for that is I did have a, a lovely and, and, and fortunate 34-year corporate career uh, in talent development. We'll talk about that. But I started thinking about what's the next chapter of life, I thought, you know, I'd love to go back to teaching. And my 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 hobby topic is leadership. And so right now I'm involved in a couple programs, uh, executive MBA okay. program, the graduate program for supply chain in leadership applications of leadership. So been doing that for uh, over seven years now. Uh, and then partnering with some professors on research on these topics about career derailment, uh, what I now call coachability, uh, okay. So I've got I've got that going on, but I, I find that that teaching is inspirational. But I also do the one-on-one coaching with these executive MBA students. 
and uh, learn a lot through that as well. Yeah. And as you mentioned, you had a 34 year career. You're giving back at this point. Um, now, I know you're probably far too humble to um, to just rattle this off when you meet somebody. But I'd like to actually in the back of your book about the about the author, there's a section that really unpacks your your time within your corporate career. Is it okay mm-hmm. if I just read a little bit and do my best NPR? Sure. No, no, my mom wrote that. So <laughs> not too many exaggerations. But okay. Well, the thing I really liked in your book is you said you had a 34 year career with the generals. Mm-hmm. And I and I put that as quotes. So you had you began your time with General Electric and then had 17 years with General Mills. Mm-hmm. Maker of some of my favorite cereals, by the way. So some fantastic stuff there. Kevin, um, you were ultimately the chief learning officer at General Mills. And I just want to put this, just read this out to the group here. During his time at General Mills, the organization was consistently recognized for its innovative development work. Highlighted by Fortune's number two ranking as one of the best companies in the world at leadership development. Number one listing by Leadership Excellence Magazine. Number one global learning elite ranking and Training Magazine's Hall of Fame designation as a top company for employee development. And if we're not just going to pile on even more, in 2007, Chief Learning Officer Magazine selected Kevin as the Chief Learning Officer or CLO of the year. So I kind of feel like I'm talking to the the Tiger Woods of uh, leadership and talent talent development here. Or if not there, you're, you're in the Hall of Fame, Kevin. So well, that's a pretty impressive body of work, sir. Yeah, it was great stuff. And obviously the stuff you put in a book about, hey, maybe this author's got <laughs> something to say. But you know, ultimately, let, let's make it clear. Uh, I'm a student of the game of leadership. There's so much to learn, and both, you know, th- there's a few stories in the book about Kevin screwed up. <laughs> uh, yes, that, you know, I, I particularly appreciated it. those. Yeah, no, there's there's plenty and plenty more that I kept out. Trust me, but uh, the, it's been a great career. And I, I know that I was surrounded by a lot of great talent and a lot of role model leaders, and both I had the honor of uh, working at the GE Corporate Training Center uh, at the time called Crotonville. I had the CEO and senior team come in to be teaching faculty in my classes, uh, and that got me into, you know leaders teaching leaders, and then also at General Mills, just a terrific set of uh, leaders that I worked with, as well as outside consultants and, and friends at GP Strategies, among others. There's a, there's yeah, I was going to say, the, it, it, and that would be the last piece. I would say, for full disclosure, Kevin is on the advisory board of GP Strategies Learning Technologies Group. We're lucky to have him as a, uh, a guiding a guiding consultant on that end. And so, you know, we're, we're going to get into the book. One thing I've been doing this year kind of as a bit of a theme, though, Kevin, is also uh, introducing our audience to one fun fact about our guests. So do you have one fun fact about Kevin Wilde for us? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I love, uh, as much as I live in the, the, you know, the woods of Minnesota, uh, I love sneaking out and getting to Arizona, uh, usually a couple times a year and hiking through the Grand Canyon. Uh, and there's a rock at the bottom of the Grand Canyon. I love just go finding that rock, sitting on it, and just thinking about life for a few minutes. So uh, that that's my happy spot. And I'm going in a couple of weeks, so I'm looking forward to that trip. I was going to say, maybe we'll have to get down here and go to Applebee's or something and grab a little jalapeno popper and, and have a good time. So we'll, go. we'll talk about that afterwards. Okay. Um, so I've got, I mean, literally, I have a whole, whole manifest of questions I want to ask you about this book. It's such a rare opportunity to actually get a chance to get behind the words and talk to the author here. So I, I think the first thing I want to do is really just kind of talk about this concept here 
of um, why should leaders care about coachability? And, you know, one of the things I would say in your book is that you said it, this kind of started out as a study first on just derailing leaders. Why do leaders derail? And you found a pattern. So can you talk a little bit more about that, Kevin? Yeah, here, here's the story. So I would meet every year with uh, the this, this senior team in my old job, CEO, et cetera. And we'd talk about the top 500 leaders, all the officers, all the directors worldwide, and really just a terrific group of talent. You know, who gets promotion? Who should we move? Training, et cetera. And I started noticing, ah, not everybody makes it. And there was this very small set of derail leaders that we thought were going to do great and didn't, got over their heads. And in many cases, we had asked them to leave. And I started studying that from a, gee, that's kind of something we should avoid. Let's go look at that. And it was a very uncomfortable conversation to bring into the senior team to talk about, hey, we got to avoid this. Let's start looking at it. Uh, and I found them to be more receptive than my fears. And like, okay, we're going to work on this a bit. So as much as we were working on success profiles, um, I started doing a deep dive and actually a postmortem on anything that went wrong with a derailment. Would interview their manager, would um, you know, pull their personnel file, look at things. And I found a clear pattern. In fact, I found one question that in their 360 survey of record that almost predicted the derailment. <laughs> I don't know if you want to know the question or not, but I, uh, I do want to know it. Yes, <laughs> so, absolutely. So, so the question was, does this leader seek and respond to feedback? Does this leader seek and respond to feedback? They were 30% mm. lower compared to my, my, you know, 30%, uh, 30 wow. percent lower than the normal group. And uh, that led me about, well, what was going on there? And I think what's going on is they developed blind spots. We all have blind spots. Let's admit that. But these people had blind spots in really important areas that led to problems. Uh, and that started me down the path about, gee, um, why do leaders lose the interest in getting feedback or active in that process? And then how do you, how do you turn it around? And as I looked at um, another study we did, the firm that did our 360s, um, they had a database of 50,000 leaders, not derail leaders, all leaders worldwide, okay. all levels, all of that. And we said, let's take this coachability set of questions that Kevin found, like, you know, seeks feedback and play it by level. And what we found is this stunning decline from entry-level supervisor, 71% positive, yep, <laughs> love getting feedback, want to learn, want to get better, to by time you got to a senior leader, it was well under 50%. Like, oh, oh, now I see what's going on. And I think there's some assumptions behind that. We did, by the way, find highly coachable leaders at all level. And this, so, okay. so point number one is, Michael, um, coachability helps you avoid blind spots. Sometimes you can get in trouble if you have blind spots and you don't know when they're you know, chasing you. So watch out for that. But I also found that highly coachable leaders, again, number of studies academically and others, we found that highly coachable leaders at all levels, um, better levels of employee engagement, higher overall leadership rankings, innovation, creativity, influence, you know, mm. on and on and on, higher performance ratings. And I'll get this one, uh, two studies that looked at coachability and promotability. And yes, of course, they were 20% higher in ratings if you were highly coachable. So lots of good things that go on if you stay highly coachable. But I think both mother nature and our own assumptions get in the way. And so the second yeah, thing, lots yeah. of positives, lots of positives if you stay coachable. But here's what I tell my class, you know, unless you really think about this topic and do something, today is as coachable as you're ever going to be for the rest of your life. <laughs> unless you do something and got that's a few a ideas. Sobering, that's a sobering thought. So what I want to do is transition this over to the, the second biggest milestone I had for today's conversation is why why is that? Why do you start out um, 
an open book, open to feedback. Why do you start to lose that over time, particularly as you ascend into more of a leadership position? What did you find on that? So back to the studies as well as the coaching I've done, I found a number of things that we can all identify with. Uh, one is I call it the false finish line. And that's the notion about, hey, I'm now the leader. I'm in charge. I don't have to learn as much. I have to do stuff. Uh, and I think that's a notion that I'm now perfectly formed or I'm done with my development, as opposed to the, the, the highly coachable leaders that have a mindset about, you know what, I'm an unfinished product. I got to keep working on this leadership game. And so that false finish line assumption gets in the way. Uh, related to that is what I call the superhuman stance, which is now that I'm the leader, if I ask for feedback, hmm. people will doubt me. Like, oh, you know, I, you know, I better not ask. He doesn't uh, have all I, the answers, right? Oh my yeah, goodness. I've got to show. I, that's that heroic leadership model. Uh, and particularly, uh, you think about the challenges of the COVID and the economy that we need leaders to step up, show the way, rally the troops. That's all good. But if you're not coachable as you're going through that, you get into trouble. And I think that one, the third one I've seen is like, it's a funny one. It's called the boss booster bubble. And I don't know if you've noticed that, but oftentimes when you're in charge, when you have power, uh, people start filtering what they tell you and they learn, gee, for mm. my own career interests, I'm going to tell Michael good news. He's happy. I'm yes, not tell him the bad yes, news, yes. especially about himself. <laughs> and most leaders know like, look, there's two sides to the story, but some people get caught in the trap about all I'm hearing is good news. Nobody comes in my yeah. office and tells me yeah. what I need to work on, so I must be okay. Uh, and then there's the, the other dynamic I'll mention is the uh, what I call the lonely lament, that I notice the higher up mm. you go up the ladder of leadership, the less you've got a peer group. And if you think about our earlier years, peer groups are always you know, comparing notes, talking to each other, giving each other advice, and looking for it. And so you've got that natural learning group when you're a frontline employee, when you're a supervisor, when you've got your friends. And then as you get in charge of things, there's not that many around. And that gets in the way. I'll mention one more if I may, one more, which is probably Absolutely. the heart of things. Keep like, it going. I yeah, am not going to stop. Yeah, no, there's a lot I, of, I am absorbing this. The, way. The, the, one, the other one is like, you know what? I'll, I'll go through seminars or training, even reading my book on coachability and people say, you know what? I buy this concept. I don't want blind spots. I want to do all the good things you talked about. But not now. I'm really, really busy. I'm going to put that on my list mm. when things slow down. And, and I call that the, the, the magic moment mirage. Like, okay, things are going to slow down at some point. I'm going to work on my own development. Like, boy, <laughs> you tell me the day things slow down. <laughs> and, we get busy. and I think the busyness sometimes gets in the way about stepping back. How am I doing? What should I listen to? What should I be working on now? Um, and we all suffer with that. And, and, and I just find that what I tried to do in the book is find little tips little things and even for your you know your, your viewers here and listeners like what's what's like one thing that could add to my game 10 percent 10 percent better one little thing i can bring in to uh to my coachability but a lot of things yeah and a lot of things get in the way you know it's it's funny you know being that i'm in my late 40s now not to date this too much but um i can see the hill if not not at the i can see the hill going on the other side at this point but everything you're saying right there is i go back and i can play back my career and my mind and whether it's with myself or with others, you know, I've withheld information. I've, I've helped contribute to the lonely lament yeah. in, um, in, in pursuit of keeping my career standing before. And I've been on the other end where I've been at the leadership level and, um, yeah, not really gotten the candid feedback until it's maybe like a blind 360 survey, which you talk about later in the book. And I, I just loved your, your Sarah, acronym there. I was just dying on the plane writing notes about 
that I went. I've gone through all those stages at this at some point. So really good stuff. What I want to do though for our listeners here that are driving and listening is let's talk about some things that we can do about it. So um, in this idea of regaining your coachability, before we get into some of the specifics, um, tell us about what's a big picture uh, mind frame that we can adopt to just start to regain our coachability, yeah, Kevin. And, and some of my research was I interviewed 50 executive coaches. When you have a coachable client, what do you see as a leader when they don't? What's missing? And then put a model together, went out, did the academic research on it, got it down to you know the, the five simple factors. The biggest one is obviously mindset. You know, getting back to like, you know what, I value this. I, I do want to get better um, as opposed to I'm so busy. I got to work on this later or, you know, I dismiss any feedback because we have to charge that hill. Um, so what? I, one last study I want to mention that really set this up. So, uh, again, the, the, the 360 firm, uh, good partners in the work I've done over the years, Zenger Folkman, they did a study of 300 leaders. With We cut the coachability index of how people see how coachable that leader is against confidence. They had a personality assessment. And so the question is, gee, what happens to coachability as your confidence goes up? And what was surprising is it wasn't up or down. It was a curve. Hmm. And on the low end, it's like, okay, low confidence, low coachability. I call that, I can't. And I've been there myself. Like, I just can't take feedback right now. I'm nervous. I don't know if I'm doing it right, but I'm just not ready for it. Uh, and therefore, you have to get a little more confidence to be coachable. On the other end is the, I have lots of confidence, particularly I looked at some of the academic studies on, you know, humility and all of that, but I call that the I don't care zone. And we fall into that too. It's like, you know what? I don't want to be because I don't care. You are preaching. Choirs of angels are coming down here. I see all these with various leaders in my life already, yeah. Kevin. And but for all of us, one thing I ask leaders is, okay, there's that middle spot. There's that sweet spot where again, it was much higher, higher coachability when you had enough confidence to listen and to try and to learn, but not too much. <laughs> and I call that the learning. Right. So the biggest thing is I found leaders had that mindset. I want to operate more in my learning zone. Now, I, I, I did some training for a, a, a company recently, and I asked leaders, what percent of your calendar time in the last month were you operating from your learning zone? Were you leading from your learning zone? Less than 25%. Mm. They're saying 75% of my time, I'm executing, I'm moving. I am not in my learning zone either because I don't want to hear it because I don't care or I don't want to hear it because I'm not ready for it. Um, now, say, gee, for you to achieve your goals, to, to be in this crazy environment and to lead well and be your best, what percent of your time should you be in your operating zone? And I think for your, your viewers and listeners, like that's the fundamental question. Can I operate more in my learning zone? What pushes me out of it and what pulls me into it? And what I found pulls people into it are these little habits that highly coachable leaders use. Okay, so before we we get there, and and I'm seeing some things here. I want to just unpack this learning zone a little bit more. So, what I'm seeing in my mind is kind of that X Y axis, right? So you've got an X axis and a Y axis, and you were saying uh, to really be in your learning zone, you need to have a reasonable amount of confidence. Um, but also a reasonable amount of coachability. Is that fair to say? Right. Okay. So I just drew on okay. the whiteboard. Yeah. Okay. Let's draw it up here. Let's see it. That's, that's okay. The that's the curve, right? 
And again, okay. you should uh, be an artist too, by the way. That's really, I, you know, really good. I've got another that's what you call it. lonely lament right there. That was, that no, was, that's the, that's, that's the booster bubble. Like, no, I'm not really that. Good. Oh, that's the booster uh, bubble. Okay. Yeah. Right. But again, the, spot, okay. the spots in the middle, spots in the middle. And again, all right. Enough, so if, if you're listening on the podcast, this is also going to be on our YouTube channel on GP strategies, oh, yeah. like subscribe, smash that notifications button. You can see Kevin's graph there, by the way. So, Okay, so Kevin, that's where you want to stay. Continue on. Forgive me for interrupting you with that sidebar promo. Yeah, and I just mentioned about, you know, where I would start with, okay, do I want to operate more in my learning zone? Is that going to help me be a better leader, avoid blind spots, role model, great coaching yourself, okay. as well as, you know, engagement. So good things happen. And the notion that, you know, I probably drifted out of my learning zone. Michael, the bad news is we also cut the data, 50,000 leaders and coachability by age. Okay. Guess what that looks like? Oh, down. I was going to say, I was thinking of a descending um, yeah, chart, yeah, right? The, really the older you are, that's the old, old dogs. It's hard to teach an old dog yeah. new tricks, right? And some of that is, you know, by the way, you know, we've earned a certain amount of, you know what, I know what I'm doing. I've achieved, I've got my success formulas. I want to use it. I think that's all legitimate, but how do you both, you know, do what you do well, but also that keep, keep that learning zone mode open. And what I found okay. in my research is there's two kinds of coachable leaders. Those that are coachable on anything, I call those universal coachabilities, right? Any topic, anytime, give me a tip, I'm ready for it. And then there are, are, are the on-mission coachable people, which are, okay. you know what, I don't want feedback on everything right now, but here's the one thing important to my life, important to my organization leadership, I want to learn how to get better at this thing. And the door is open for feedback or I want uh, input from folks. Uh, and back to that, I want to be in the learning zone, uh, if possible, all the time, but particularly on these things. So okay. having, having something, you know, I really want to be in my learning zone. And then what, what is helps there within that uh, layer of coachability? Is there one that you would say is the mindset that is preferred well, universal think, or on mission? Yeah. You know, and I think the notion about I, I'm an unfinished product. Okay, the work in progress, I'm right? Work in progress. I'm working progress. Yeah, and 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 back to this confidence thing. You sh you should feel confident, you know, um, but not you know confident to care, confident to be uh, able to take input. By the way, we can get in this in a minute. You're like, I do not like the word feedback. I got a problem with that word. I try not to use it in the book. <laughs> uh, we'll come back to that. But I you know, think I, like I know it. where you're going with that, and yeah, I, I love yeah, it. We need yeah. a director's chair here, but um, okay, so. I, I am loving everything that you're saying about uh, coachability, the mindset of it. And I'm hearing you almost saying that um, it's not you can't teach an old dog new tricks. It's more of just shift your mindset, shift your approach. Yeah. And when you make that decision, some doors open up. So I think we've we've hopefully our listeners are beginning to believe that. What I'd like to do, though, is really talk about some of the four ways. So you really highlight four actionable ways. And I will say this as someone that read the book, Kevin's book is, as he's mentioned, it's not designed for folks that read business books. It's for people that don't. Is that fair to say, Kevin? Yeah, I wrote it as a pass along book that, uh, <laughs> yeah. And, 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 you know, short attention span. Let me just, if you skim through the book, like I got it. Uh, and I put worksheets in there like, yeah, that's the thing. I need oh to yeah. So simple, fun. You're, I have pictures. I have pictures in there. Most business books don't have pictures. I have pictures. Oh, my goodness. So I was going to say this. First of all, just from someone operating in the world of learning and development, where we know long-form blocks of text just don't work anymore, you really nailed it. You um, you really hit in a couple of things. I want to just say that 
I loved is you have this three, two, one summary at the end where you talk about the three key concepts, two questions, one action item. I mean, I just went, okay, this has been done by someone that's thinking about how we process and retain information um, where you can do a high level skim, you can look at it. And then you have all these worksheets and action items where it gets down to where we really learn. And that's analysis and reflection and synthesis and how we do all this. So just want to give you a virtual high five for that. You did a fantastic job, Kevin. Hey, let's do a virtual high five. There we go. Boom. Yep. You did such a great job. And one of the, I'd say the bulk of the second half of the book is really just about how to, how to do things. You, you make a powerful case for being coachable and this concept of the learning zone. And then you shift it to really specifically what you can do about it. So you, you highlighted four key ways to regain your superpower. Um, are you, are you okay? I don't want to read the book for everyone here, but can you just unpack a little bit of sure. these, these four concepts for oh, us? Yeah. And, and the promise okay. Okay, here, here's, you know, if you're listening to this while you're driving or whatnot, or getting ready for your day, like do one of these things. So again, studied highly coachable leaders, did the academic review, by the way, uh, lots of stories. And as you mentioned, worksheets, but also in the back of the book, I have all the academic references. So for the yes. leadership nerds out there like me, like you know, if you <laughs> want to look at the work of uh, Dr. Susan Ashford, fabulous job on feedback seeking, et cetera, et cetera. I've got all of that in the back, including my favorite study, uh, 300 leaders that matched their employees uh, and the manager. And they measured the manager and how coaching skills the manager had and how coachable the employee was. And they found that the coachability employee mattered even more. Mm. Like, yeah, yeah, this is the back. Really? To the it's all in the back. It's all in the back of the book. But tip number one, highly coachable leaders, find ways to, to seek input. Um, okay. And, you know, I'll give you just two, two ideas here. One is they have a question, you know, back to in your learning zone on a question, like what would be your question you want to learn from? Um, I, I love back in my working days. Yeah, this is seek. Uh, is to seek by, you know, the after action review, you finish a project, you're wrapping up a meeting and you just ask two questions. You say, number one, what, what did I do? Well, I should do again. And what's one thing I could do differently next time. That would be even better. Mm. And I've learned that in my yeah. own career is just have, have that simple question or two in your back pocket, find ways of bring it up. Now, the first time or two you ask it, people will probably be a little, you know, tenuous on how they answer, but over time, like, Hey, I found with my team, I would do one-on-ones and oftentimes I would add that question at the end. Trust me, by the end, my team was loaded. They were ready to get Kevin. <laughs> they were ready. They well, were that's ready. Well, the like, point okay. is you Good said, point. I want I want to get better, right? You yeah. said I'm a work in progress. Yeah. And that opens the door. In fact, what the, the two questions concept, I immediately wrote that down because whether it's it's podcast hosting or as you mentioned, you had to learn how to uh, have your media training and you didn't receive mm -hmm. formal, you did more of an OTJ concept. So yeah. I wrote that down as a huge one uh, of just seeking. And you outlined several things. I don't want to um, make this a 15-hour podcast, but you outline a lot of different ways that you can um, take this nuanced idea of seeking feedback and you unpack yeah. it in the book. So okay. uh, I think that's that's I'll awesome. Give, I'll try to give two for each. So that's one. And again, okay. there's a lot in there, simple things. Um, the, the other one um, is on more senior levels, uh, oftentimes you get your feedback by having a truth teller. And oh, yes. My truth teller story. Okay. So I was a frontline supervisor, manufacturing, a GE. And uh, this is way back in the day. The uh, second week uh, uh, on the job, I had to pass out paychecks. We didn't have direct deposit. And so I had 34 technicians, two shifts, and I'd go from assembly station to assembly station. I'd give them the paycheck. I thought, this is boring. I'm going to spice it up. So I, I made a little <laughs> joke. I'd say, hey, Michael, here's your paycheck. Big money. 
or uh, <laughs> hey, hey, Susan, got, got your paycheck here. Don't spend it all at once. And I thought I was hilarious. So I'm going around the shop, giving out the paychecks. I get back to my little supervisor cubicle and they're sitting there is my lead technician, Jim. And Jim said, Kevin, sit down. <laughs> okay. And he said, you know, we've been talking and I think you're going to be okay as the new boss, but I got to tell you, when you pass out paychecks, shut up. <laughs> and he meant it you know, in, in a very caring way, but like, I'm sorry, I had no idea. Boy, that was a blind spot. Right. And I had to apologize and I never did it again. But then I just started thinking, you know, if Jim wouldn't have told me, I would have done that stupid comedy act every other week and my workforce would be grumbling under their breaths and it just would be bad. So Jim was my truth teller. So I think about in every job mm. since I've always sought out a truth teller. I say, hey, how am I doing? What's going on? What should I pay attention to now? If you were me, what would be the important thing? Uh, and have those truth tellers in your life. So simple exercise, write it down. Who are your two or three truth tellers right now? How do you build those relationships? How do you check in? With with that, Kevin, with a truth teller, does it have to be someone who is quote unquote above you as a supervisor? Is that is that a helpful element or is it helpful to have people within the yeah. entire mix? I'll give you a 360. So, you know, write it down like who who works for me or who's at the lower level that, okay. you know, uh, is capable, trustworthy. And we've got the chemistry that I could ask them every once in a while. How am I doing and how's the team doing, et cetera. Uh, peers are a great source, too. I, when I worked at okay. General Mills, I had to find kind of a, a cultural um, interpreter, like, these people are crazy. Why are we doing these things this way? And I joined the new company and uh, they had a compensation. I would go for a run every once in a while. And, you know, he was my truth. Though. Hey, Kevin, here's what's going on. And by the way, here's, you know, what you're doing right now, et cetera. So a peer would be good. I think looking up is good. Uh, oftentimes, uh, a more senior person, but not your direct chain of command, but related. And I had a truth okay. teller that those levels I would build. Uh, I'd look at your calendar and say, okay, who have I meeting with in the last month or who am I meeting with in the next month? That could be one of my trusted advisors or truth tellers that people I could check in with. Um, so you could go all around, you go to the outside, you know, there's great coaches out there. There's old peers. I had an old boss from okay. 10 years prior. That was one of my check-in guys. Uh, and then finally, um, you know, do things to show that your door is open. And that's as much as I just said, five ways you can find a truth teller. I think we can lead in such a way that truth tellers find us. And mentioning mm. in meetings, you know, I'm always trying to learn or I'm open or boy, I'm really curious about this thing right now. And then we're going to segue into the second thing. I found highly coachable leaders, when they get input, respond in a certain way. And I have to admit, this is where I don't like the word feedback. Because if I say to most people, hey, I've got feedback for you, nobody jumps up right. and down for joy. Your book has many ways to to respond to that. And, and I, I like the fact that you go from seeking to respond. And, and unpack this idea of respond for me, because respond isn't, in my mind, respond is going, I, I'm truly responding. But you've got some great approaches there. Can you share a couple of, yeah, of it, it best really practices? Yeah. And again, you think of mindset early in a career. Yeah. We knew we had to learn. So we mm -hmm. responded quite naturally. Our faces, all that was all good. You know, all these busy things and the assumptions that get in the way. Uh, I find that and this, this comes from uh, the book. Thank you for the feedback. They talk about the inner voices mm -hmm. that get in the way okay. of really listening. And what I find is you, you've got to build some muscle memory and how do I respond? You know, it's, it's like an NFL athlete, like, you know what, you better practice the play before the play happens. And most of us don't. And so the one thing that I learned about highly coachable leaders is they don't listen 
to the inner voices. One inner voice that gets in my way uh, is when someone gives me input, my inner voice says, don't listen, Kevin, because they <laughs> don't understand. You know, they don't yes. get it. They're not smart enough. They got their own agenda, on and on and on and on. By the way, some of those things may be true, but if the inner voice is too noisy, I never listen to what might be a good message. And then the second one, Michael, is great. So the second little voice I get <laughs> when someone gives me, you know, ideas and input to improve is the little voice says, oh, oh, you're giving me feedback? Me? Well, <laughs> tell me when you're done talking because I have some <laughs> feedback for you. you know? well, like, oh, you know, and maybe they need oh feedback, but not right then. And again, there's dozens of other voices, but you, you kind of get it about these little things that get in the way. Well, I, I think that's the the key point in the aha moment for me on the on this element of respond is this idea, as you said, you need to train yourself to number one, understand at the meta level what are your instinctual feelings. And as you were saying, it's a lot of it is you start to uh, rationalize or or like you said, you you have a bit of an indignancy. And um, first of all, just recognizing, hey, that's how I'm feeling. But as you said, let's let's put those aside. And it takes practice to do that, right? It does. And, and back to the, how do I get myself into the learning zone? I've either asked for feedback input or it's just coming my way from a truth teller. I got to get it. I need to capture the message. And the best way I learned how to do that was a friend of mine that's a professional actor. And he said that we were talking about these concepts. And he said, oh, that's like taking a note. I said, what do you mm. mean taking a note? And what I found in my research is professional actors are on stage in a rehearsal, but they don't leave when the rehearsal's over. They stay on stage and the director gives each of them a note. Like, here's my note for you. Because the director can see the whole stage. They can see the body language. They can see how lines mm -hmm. are landing. Uh, and professional actors learn to take a note. And so I've learned to use that phrase. Like, okay, here comes some input from Michael and others. Like, you know what? I got to listen. I'm just taking a note. Uh, so you need kind of a trigger phrase that puts you in the listening mode to the outside message, not the inside noise. And another one I use is, oh, here comes my tip of the day. I get that at home. Like, hey, Kevin, mm -hmm. blah, 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 blah. here comes my <laughs> tip of the day. And I just want to listen and, you know, say, you know, thank you. It's hard to give feedback. I, I also tell uh, people I, I coach, like, it's okay to say, you know, I want to think about this. Thank you for the input. Yeah. Okay. That was this. huge. That was yeah. huge hearing that. Uh, and as you say in the book, stop. It was stop listening, start taking notes. Is that, am I remembering that correctly? Yeah, I'm just, I'm just take, taking a note and, and back to the, okay. that's the mindset. Uh, highly coachable leaders, I just want to listen to the message. Because even if, you know, back to the, yeah, they may not be that credible or they may not, uh, you know, know what's going on or they got their own faults, but there might be something in that message that's going to help you, that points mm -hmm. out the blind spot or, you know, the hidden strength or talent that you should bring out more. Uh, but you've got to have that muscle memory about here it comes, I've got to get into a capture the message mode. And if I'm a role model leader, I have to show the kind of coachability I expect of my employees. And here's the other thing. Highly coachable leaders are rated as better coaches. Why? I think they role model it. Absolutely. Well, I can see if, if you are saying I'm an open book, I'm a work in progress, I'm looking to stay curious, I'm looking to consistently improve, you're setting up a culture, right? So then then you're you're essentially setting up a, uh, a water wheel of, of success at your organization here. And I will say this as a slight promo for the book. We do have a graphic. If you want to check out the video on YouTube, we've got a graphic that shows at least one place that you can purchase the book. You can snap a, a QR code and go to Amazon. It's also available at 
I believe Barnes and Noble right. and right. a couple of other uh, storefronts too, Kevin. But I want to say in the book, you also have all these fantastic worksheets that are reflection worksheets in terms of how you can take this idea and and really start to to work on it. So I just want to say kudos for that. You did a great job on those elements. So I want to move us on to this idea of reflections. And, and in fact, one of the things that you just mentioned is that it's okay when you're taking your note to say, number one, I know this was hard for you, right? Thank you for sharing this feedback. Um, I'm just going to need to take some time to reflect on that, right? Mm -hmm. And that kind of takes us to point three of, of one of your best practices. So share a couple of tips and insights when you are reflecting on how to make the most of the notes that you've been given. Yeah, what, what I've found is it's really hard to reflect nowadays, right? We got a lot going on and the oh. notion, okay, I'm separating like highly coachable leaders, value being the learning zone. They actively seek input to get better or open for it. They you know respond well when it shows up, to, they understand what the message is. And then they, they have to think about it. Like, okay, have I heard this before? Is this something important to act on? Should I check with some other people? But they take the time. Now, it could be as simple as, you know, I'm going to think about this as, as I'm writing in my journal that night, or I'm going to go talk to a friend about it. I find that there's a clear division of introverts and extroverts. If you're mainly mm -hmm. an extrovert, it's going to be too painful to write it down, but go talk to someone like, hey, I just got this input. I, I, don't, I don't know what to make out of it. Can we talk about it? Uh, I think that's valuable to do. Or, you know, if you're an introvert, like, okay, write in the journal, go for a walk, think about it. I've got some worksheets to think it through on the, on the bigger feedback messages. But I want to step back for a second. As much as, you know, okay. we're kind of saying, how do I, how do I get a message, I, you know, and, and really reflect on it? I think we've lost the habit of reflecting. I think the last mm. couple of years have gotten us crazy busy. And, you know, who knows what's coming next. But I love agility. I love the, you know, we're going to make it up as we go along. But I think it's gotten us sloppy. For leaders that do need to, as, as uh, one of the Harvard professors, Ron Heifetz, talks about in one of his books, leaders need to, from time to time, get off the dance floor get up to the balcony, see what's going on, and then go back down. And I think we don't get up on the, we, we don't take that higher view of things. And if you're a leader, you are paid to look to the future, to figure out what's going on. And it takes think time. You know, we've lost a lot of that. So I, I've got a friend, Nigel uh, uh, um, Payne, that has got a couple of books out. And he, he talks about, you know, five minutes a day. Come on, five minutes a day. Start five minutes, day, that's end it. Of the day. Come on, five minutes. This is my reflecting time. I'm going to turn off the phone. I'm going to whatnot. I'm just going to think, did I hear anything today? What's got my attention now? What What's the question I should be mulling over uh, five minutes a day? Or at the beginning of the day, all right, how do I want to show up today? You know, given the feedback I've gotten or the thing I'm working on improving it, look at those meetings on your calendar. How do I want to show up today? Five minutes. And then he'd recommend, you know, end of the week. I, I like Friday mornings, by the way, 15 minutes in your calendar, 15 okay. minutes. Reflect time. Now, usually that means... A different location, by the way, because, you know, if you're just in hmm. front of all the noise and distractions, like, yeah, 15 minutes are hard. So five minutes a day, 15 minutes, and then from time to time, a little more. But I think highly coachable leaders and effective leaders have reflect time and we, we got to fight to get it back. And does that mean that maybe not your emails are all addressed that day or, you know, your 20 tasks, you only got 15 done? Yeah, you'll be better if hmm. you reflect. So challenge to all the readers and myself. Um, oh, absolutely. I, mean, it, it, I loved your, your story in the book about how one of your senior executives that you went to, you thought he had a stroke and I won't ruin the story for everyone. Spoiler <laughs> alert. But the fact is he was reflecting and you're like, 
what's going on here? Um, and that idea of just having the quiet time. In fact, that's, that's one of the things that I took away as one of my ideas was just setting up some of these activators, these triggers that can help you make some of these best practices. So I will 100% do the 515 and one hour that you recommend because I just went, that's a perfect way to just, even as you said, hey, am I um, showing kindness to others? You know, just at, at, at a base level, forget performance. Am I just reflecting the values that I want to have people remember me from? I think those are, are really great things, not only for work, but for your family, <laughs> for your marriage. You could go a lot of ways here. So we'll we'll keep it on the workforce front on this end. So let's step back to the the next element. The the fourth piece was action or or acting right here. So um, just share a couple of tips and strategies beyond what we've already talked about, Kevin. Yeah. So, so back to the, I've reflected, I do need to make an adjustment. I need to flex my style. I started studying leaders that translate feedback and intention into real action. Because again, it's not sustainable if I keep giving you input and you never change or you change once and then you fall back. Now, the field of self-improvement and self-change is just huge. Uh, but I, I, I kind of did a deep dive and I started following uh, my exec MBA students that would put a development plan together. We would we'd do a resurvey in four months. Did this leader get better or not? And I started watching those that really improved. And I found a couple patterns. Uh, one pattern I found is when they decided I got to change this, right? I need to add this to my game or flex my style is they went into it with a, a spirit of experimentation. Like, I'm going to try this. So one okay. question about, you know, once I got the feedback, I want to get better at something. Where can I experiment? Where, where can I try it and just see how it goes in those little places so that what's that simple step I could take? So back to reflection is, okay, if I want to act, what's the simple step I could start with? Um, I know my personal life at one point, I, I, I was getting uh, exercising and then getting really tight. And I got I to gotta get yoga, right? And I just set a goal about, you know what, every day I'm going to do a little yoga thing. But at minimum, I'm going to do at least one yoga pose a day. And just, just a little, you know, get you going on it, a little, you know, five minutes reflection or, you know, check in from it's a little starts. A couple of things I saw that I passed along from people that were successful at acting at their intention to get better is they wrote it down and they reminded themselves. And the, the so best, that's, that's going back to the whole concept of habits, correct? Yeah. So, so back to, back to the, you know, I, I found that the people would put it on a little post-it note card and they'd put it somewhere or they'd put it on a screensaver or, you know, they'd put it, they'd put it on their agendas, right? Remember, Kevin, you're working on this bump or here's what, when I'm at my best, what I'm looking like. But um, the most successful people in acting actually reminded themselves, wrote it down, reminded themselves and got into a routine about, oh yeah, because we get busy, we forget, you know, you know, it's about, you know, get it. Put it in front of yourself naturally. Um, and here's the other uh, tip is this will be shocking. So I'm glad you're sitting down. Hopefully most of your readers are sitting down. <laughs> people that made significant progress told someone what they were working on. They told oh, someone. Yes. So again, it could be a trust advisor, could be a friend, could be whatnot. But, and I, I think that public acknowledgement about, you know what? I want to be more concise when I speak or I don't want to interrupt people and whatnot is one, I think the articulation helps the commitment. And two, you know, have a support, you know, a little accountability, a little friend. Right, so you're getting a truth teller is what you're getting. You're, you're, you're soliciting truth tellers is what you're yeah. saying, right? Yep. So a couple simple things, but again, um, to your point about a number of activators I've got in the book, I found that there's like a dozen things you can do to set yourself into motion. And the unsuccessful people picked one or two, the successful leaders 
had at minimum five different little ways to kind of keep okay. them on that journey. Um, again, it, it, personal change is hard. I get it. But again, if you're in that learning mode, like, you know, I, I need to take a couple steps, 10% better. What's a habit I could use today? And then rally some support and reminders around you. Absolutely. Yeah. In, in particular, I appreciated your case studies of actually sharing. Obviously, you changed the names to protect the innocent, yeah. but you shared specific case studies of, for example, one of your students um, that is currently in business and they were trying to launch a software product. And you actually shared how she incorporated the five tips and and made meaningful changes. So there's a lot of actionable elements in in your book in that regard so it's just it's chock full and i'm quite impressed how you were able to get so much information condensed in a book that i could read uh within a, a four-hour sitting on a flight to cleveland while being bumped around whilst taking notes so great job on that so one of the things i wanted to talk about is i'm going to call this kind of the art and science of things here kevin and mm -hmm. and that is um you're going to get feedback or you're taking notes is what i probably should change this to you're going to receive notes from individuals um there's got to be a fine art as a leader of determining what feedback uh, you're going to actually act upon and what you're not uh, what i'd like to hear a little bit more from you on is number one how do you a determine making those decisions and B, regardless of that, what do you say to individuals that have shared notes with you? Yeah. So um, back to the, that final point about if anybody's giving you that kind of input, it is an act of courage and kindness. And even if it's a tough message or it's a, it's a messy one, you know, as one author once said, you know, all feedback is a gift, but oftentimes <laughs> it's poorly wrapped and you've got, you've got to get through the ugly <laughs> wrapping to get it to like, okay, what's, what's the nugget here? Uh, at the very least you're role modeling, listening, right? But yes. how, do you, how do you unpack it? And again, what I find some people, you know, reflect by journaling or taking notes, you know, I'm trying to do kind of a little journal entry a day. And then you go back and you see some patterns like, oh, I remember getting coached from one of my former bosses. And I said, you know, I'm struggling with this input. And he said, Kevin, Kevin, don't you remember? We talked about this 10 years ago. Like, oh, oh. So you start making connections of things. So as you do get input, consider it data. Uh, okay. Model well when you receive it. All right. Is is this a pattern here? Um, you know, am I clear on what the message is? Sometimes you've got to validate it. You know, check with some others or, you know, find some other ways. Okay, is this something really important that I need to work on now, um, or just I need to note it? I think it's okay to note it and again journals or whatnot. Um, and then you know, circumstances change. So I just want to remind leaders that oftentimes when you're in a different organization, different level, or you know, the plans change that what wasn't important becomes important. So mm. it might not have been important feedback some time ago. So I'm like, okay, that's critical now. You know, Kate, mm. point, my, and I remember in my days, I, I loved uh, designing learning programs, right? And then I became the chief learning officer, right? So the first day mm. that I had one of my managers come in, we're looking at a, launching a new, new manager course. And I started working on a better icebreaker for day two. And I'm like, that's not your job, Kevin. <laughs> My job <laughs> is to make them successful, to give them resources, remove the barrier, blah, blah, blah. Like, I got to stop doing that. Where in the old days, that was something I'd wanted feedback on. Can Kevin make the best icebreakers? So sometimes a transition or a shift in the question would be, is this, is this feedback important to me now? Is this input important to me now or for the future? Uh, you know, talking to a trusted advisor, talking it through, I think is helpful. Uh, so one, noting it, looking for patterns, is there, is there something of value here for me? 
um, would be some ways to start sorting that out. Um, the the idea that you had mentioned there when you are at different roles, uh, something that kind of like you're saying here might have been a strength could potentially be a blind spot liability if you're not um, either noting your feedback or you're not seeking that feedback from individuals. Is that fair to say? Absolutely. The the sixth thing that I wanted to talk about, and you you previewed it or presaged it a little bit earlier, is this idea of messy feedback. You know, you said it, it can be a gift. It can be wrapped like the way I, I wrap gifts, which is just terrible. Yeah. If you ask anyone in my family, they can tell which ones I've wrapped at Christmas time. But my question to you is, why is feedback often so darn messy when people are giving it to us? Why does it feel awkward to give feedback? Yeah, often? I mean, back back to the original, why are people <laughs> Googling 10 times the one? How do I give it versus receive it? <laughs> right. um, you know, back to the, you know, my study, I, I think we kind of lose that this is not a natural thing anymore. And and the highly coachable leaders are in the learning zone, like, yeah, this is part of it. Um, you know, a little story I tell, I, I had the good fortune to work with a guy named Omar Douglas. He's an executive at Nike. Uh, early in the days at General Mills, he used to be an NFL athlete. Um, and I would say, what's it, what's it like being a sports guy? And he would talk about, you know, Monday morning after the game, breaking out by the skill group and, you know, looking at the tape and the, you know, the recording from the game itself. And he told me a story once about um, arguing with his skills coach about running. Uh, and he said, you know, Omar, you're running your routes with your, with your arms up. And, and he said, no, I'm not. No, I'm not. And they said, well, let's go to the tape. And there the poor guy is, you know, <laughs> oh, there it is. Now, you know, we can't have GoPro cameras on our heads as we're, you know, right. leaders every day. But that notion about, okay, how, how do I try to observe or get feedback? And how am I really coming across and doing? Um, and how, how do I capture that? So, you know, one thing I did in one of the worksheets is just, you know, three columns. One column, what are some topics I'd love to learn about? What are some things that really would energize and put me in the learning zone? Just kind of brainstorm, like, hey, for this quarter, you know, for the next 90 days, what, what's, what's a topic or two that, yeah, I'd love to learn to get better, particularly a person. Okay. Yeah. Right? What are you curious about, right? What are you curious about? Okay. What are you curious about? You brainstorm on that. And again, you could talk to a trust advisor and look at your calendar goals, et cetera. And the middle column is who would I want to get that from? So what are the sources? And again, you know, the okay. manager, uh, client, project leader, and it's brainstorm on that one that either that, okay, I just want to know how am I doing with these peers or how am I doing with, uh, you know, some of my employees, uh, or it's related to that topic. And the final one is what's my approach? How do I get it, the conversation started? And that's a good one to brainstorm. And like, okay, in the next meeting, how do I do the two question technique? Uh, or how do I, you know, turn a, a conversation to, hey, I'd love to get a little bit of mentoring or coaching on this thing in the coming months. Can you help me here? Uh, or I've been through a learning program and here's kind of, here's my action plan. Can we kind of go through Right, it? exactly. I, support? I think all those things are helpful. So Kevin, um... I wanted to also just kind of mention this idea of, and you mentioned it earlier, is this idea of the magic moment mirage. And I think, you know, so many of us are caught up in this, you know, the old uh, Stephen Covey quadrant one, quadrant yeah. two, you know, quadrant one's the the urgent and important. We, we get so stuck there that we're locked into fighting fires. So I think in this learning development world, many of us, are interested in how do we combat that? And you provided lots of great tips and strategies in the book here. But um, what I'd like you to do is just share one more piece of advice of how we can fight past the tyranny of the urgent. Yeah. So we all face it. And obviously we're, we're doing our best to tre tread water right now. And uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's the reality. Let's start there. Uh, you know, back to the, you know, can you, how could I be 10% better? 
And so, you know, if we're starting to wrap up this little broadcast, that's, you know, of all the ideas you heard, just pick one, just pick one, you know, maybe two. One was get Kevin's book. Thank you. But the other one. Oh, yeah, that's 100 percent. Here's the one thing I'm going to try. Here's And I think finding little moments to turn um, an intention into I'm going to experiment. I'm going to try a little bit. Um, I, I think that would be the big headline about just just pick one thing. You know, remind yourself every day, every week. The one, one thing that you know I'm open to, I'm working on, and uh, get me back to that that learning spot I want to be. And then I'll be an advocate for asking the impossible, which is I think every once in a while, we have to get away from it all. You know, opening story is, is uh, Kevin hikes the Grand Canyon. One thing he does Absolutely. is he gets down and he sits on a rock. You know, and I just there's a stream, there's this big rock formation. I just sit there for a while, like, yeah, how are things going? And and uh, that's my happy spot. And, and I think we all need to have a happy spot to reflect, to kind of pull away from the noise of the day and all the demands, uh, to reflect, to be at our best, to get re-energized. And so that my impossible question is go find your happy spot. And you got to get there every once in a while, away from the phone, away from the demands of the day. And I think mm-hmm. we'll all be better if we get in those regular refuge, these, these places that give us some calm and peace and allow us to reflect so we can show up better next time. Such great insight, Kevin. I can't thank you on behalf of our many listeners for taking the the time and investing in us today. Now, for those that um, have heard this and we want to invite you to pick up his book, I spent my own hard-earned money on it and have to say it was money well spent. We've got links to it. Kevin, where else can they find your book? Uh, you know, back to the online, most, most online retailers would have it. So again, Barnes and Nobles, uh, Hudson booksellers, et cetera, you know, Amazon being the, the big one out there, but, uh, it's really written. It's simple. It's engaging. I'm sorry if it took you four hours to get through it. Uh, I wrote it for a short attention span back to the miracle project, <laughs> a couple ideas and I got summaries, I got pictures, I've got little worksheets, grab something, but that's the book. Um, I also online, uh, thecoachableleader.com. I, I'm putting tips and other worksheets and new ideas out there, blogs, et cetera. And then there's also an assessment. One thing I've done is put together a model of what the book's got a short version of it. But if you want the full self-assessment about how am I doing on the habits of uh, being coachable, uh, you can get that assessment. It costs $49, a little advertising there for it. But what you get is you get a, a full report scores on, it's very simple, 10, 15 minutes of an assessment. Uh, how your practices compare to 500 leaders with some additional tips. So that's another place if you want to dive deep, we've got that. Um, and then for those of you that are listening that you're in the learning field or the coaching field, you know, the message of coachability is an important one. And I would just leave you with, I think, whether it's a tool or worksheet, the book or whatever else is, you know, bring that up as you're working with people. Hey, how's your coachability? Are you in your learning zone? How can I help you? And what can you do to keep you in your learning zone? Because I think sometimes as champions of, of helping other people get better, we take the full responsibility of readiness to learn. And I think we need to do our part, but I think more and more we're overlooking that. No, we've got to help people say, you know, don't go on that downward slide on coachability. How do you keep up oh, your curiosity? Absolutely. It, and, and I would say this, that I think it's a great book that it's, you've essentially built a workshop into a book. So something that a team could have. And as you said, you introduce a lexicon and say, let's talk about the two questions now. And you start to you start to use these these terms that immediately could be shorthand for triggering all kinds of other things in your mind. You've got so many little lexicon items in here that could end up really benefiting 
um, individuals, whether you're a leader, whether you're a follower, and we're obviously, most of us are at some point flipping that switch at, at the moment by moment of whether you're leading or, or following or taking direction, or as you're saying, taking notes. So um, can't thank you enough, Kevin, for your time here. We certainly appreciate it. And um, yeah, so folks, that's our podcast for the day. We'd love it if you'd give us a follow if uh, you're on your podcast um, suite of your choice, or if you want to check us out on YouTube, we are GP Strategies, the Performance Matters podcast. So on behalf of Kevin and myself, thank you so much and have yourself a wonderful day. The Performance Matters podcast is brought to you by GP Strategies. Together, we can create a world where business excellence makes possibilities achievable. You can subscribe to the show anywhere you get podcasts or listen on our website at gpstrategies.com.